What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Sticks and Beers podcast. It's your boy, Bobby D. Joined with a couple friends of the pod. We got Brian Tosti of the Texas Stars and Rob Lapolis of the Binghamton Devils. Both of them, uh, you can hear them on the play-by-play call, see them on all their social medias, interviewing the players. Uh, they're former teammates of mine, and we're all teammates up with each other from Oswego State University. You guys are holding it down. Isn't there one more person from Oswego that's a voice in – Am I making that up? Did uh, you, is there another dude that was Keely? One of your guys' yeah, age works. Yeah, Mike Keeley's with uh, the Maine Mariners in the ECHL. Okay. Yeah. How recently did they turn into the go from the A to the ECHL? Because they were the Portland Pirates for a while, right? Or was that Portland, Oregon? Yeah, they were. They were Portland, the Portland Pirates up in Maine. But this is a whole different franchise, and it was there was a two year hiatus, right, Rob? Yeah, uh, I, I think it was two it, years at least. It was at least one, um, but they went from – they moved to Springfield, I think. Right. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to follow sometimes with AHL teams moving around as much as they do. But I wanted to get you guys on the horn because uh, we both haven't – we haven't spoken to either of you guys since either the summer or like preseason, and obviously with everything that's been going on, uh, you guys have some time now, but um, – Wanted to get your guys' opinion on everything that's going on. Wanted to catch up on the seasons. If they return, we'll find out. Um, but I guess, where are you guys at right now? What's the protocol as AHL employees? What have you been told? What can you tell us without getting in trouble? Um, just fire away. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start. I, you know, here in, in Binghamton is, you know, been pretty much just laying low here at home. Uh, able to work from home. Um, and it's one of those things, normally, you know, you might hear a rumbling here or there of, of something, but from, from my side, um, it, you, we haven't heard anything. Um, it's, it's pretty much just really waiting on the next move. That's, that's the best I could just describe it. Uh, sitting here doing, doing some work, trying to, you know, keep up on, on social media with our team account, trying to do, um, some unique things, getting guys to send us videos and photos of what they're doing that we can post. Uh, we did the NHL. We did a, a NHL 20 double header last Monday where uh, we did kind of play by play, had a little fun with it. Uh, but it's, it's really just trying to keep things positive, keep posting things for fans, keeping them updated on, on what's happening with the players, where they're at, what they're doing. Uh, we just posted uh, head coach Mark Denny. He did a, a nice video for us. Uh, this morning so we were able to get that out and um, just really waiting on the next word is is the best thing you could put uh, best way I could say it yeah I think that's pretty much where we're at as well Um, the the main struggle is like Rob said it's it's kind of sitting and waiting and you don't have much direction and uh, what's I guess even even worse for everybody is the Um, the players don't really have any idea of what's going on either. We just did a a podcast uh, edition with uh, Jake Ottinger. We're coming out with another one with uh, Nick Camano from our team. And um, just to kind of get their feels on on a, what this season's been like for them, because there has been a roller coaster of emotions and a roller coaster of a year for just us in general. And then this to cap it all off um, guys just aren't hundred percent sure of what's going on. Um, our standpoint is the same as, as you, Rob. It's like trying to figure out exactly how to keep the content moving when you don't 
have too much quote unquote content. And when it dropped at the drop of a hat, like it did, um, there, there wasn't anything pre-prepared for, you know, that full week that we were leading up to, um, being at home. So, um, we've been instructed to stay away from the rink, stay away, stay at home. Um, Williamson County up here in Cedar park, they just put out, um, a note of us to stay, um, at home for three weeks, um, up until I believe it's April 13th. Um, so we're basically shutting home until that point. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a lot of what everybody's going through and, and a lot of working from home. And I guess for us, the benefit is we're on the road so much throughout the year. We're pretty much set to work from home. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was, I mean, like going back to that, that 24 hours, we were, uh, the devils were in Rochester and it was the start of like a six day road trip that we, we started off in Rochester and, we were talking in the press box and, and we saw, uh, I think it was Columbus announced that they would do games with no fans. Um, Cause I think the Ohio governor really came out first and, and, you know, said he was, it wasn't a, you know, a law per se, but it was a suggestion. Um, so they came out and, and did that. We were just, you know, saying what if up there. And it was really that when, when stuff started to, to kind of break during the game, on a couple Wednesdays ago. And then after the game, we actually went to Laval. I mean, we didn't, no one knew it was, there was no, um, at that exact point when we left Blue Cross arena, it was, you know, we, we didn't know there was an NHL call or a, an AHL call coming up that next day. So we actually, we got into Laval at about 4 AM. Um, and it was just a waiting period after that. And then we saw that, Laval was, you know, not sending players to to the rink that day, and you kind of just started to feel like, okay, you know, these games aren't going to happen um, this weekend, or they'd say, uh, you know, the games after this weekend, you know, all teams get home. You know, it's not just, it's a different, it's not the NHL where you can just jump on a plane and get back. You know, a lot of teams, especially out west, you know, they're traveling. So, yeah. um, but we found out and it was kind of just, we were just hanging out in the lobby and uh, got the word like 3.30, 3.45 on that Thursday. And it was uh, a six and a half hour drive back. So we, uh, and it was pretty crazy nice. getting to the border. There was like, I mean, 50 to, it, it had to have been, I mean, 50 might be too much, but we'll say 30, you know, 18 wheelers the uh, trying to get through and the bus lane was wide open. We thought we had to wait behind the trucks and I was like, no way. Um, <laughs> but we were able to get through and at, at that point, I mean, things were happening so fast. You're like, man, what if they, you know, shut the border down or, you know, yeah. give you four hours and we're six hours away. Um, Bussy would have to step on it, but we, uh, we got, we got through and, and got back, but it was, I mean, we were on a bus for, you know, 13 hours in 24 hours. So it was, uh, it was a lot of riding. So like you mentioned, Rob, out West, um, with all the flying and the travel that, that we kind of have to do, uh, we were in Loveland. We had just played, uh, the Colorado Eagles on that Wednesday night when everything really started to break. Um, and that night, with everything that was going on, I don't know what you ended up doing after the game, but we had, we had like three or four different versions of a press release ready just in case. Um, there was no 
possible, you know, no possibility that we knew what was going to happen. So right after the game, I stuck in the press box. We were staying that night in Loveland. Um, and the next day, that Thursday, we were supposed to fly to, um, fly to Phoenix because we were going to play Tucson on Saturday and Sunday. So we had two days off. Our flight out of Denver wasn't until like four or five o'clock in the evening. So we were literally at the, um, at the hotel in Loveland, Colorado until about 1.30. And we were hopping on a bus to go to Denver. And the toss up in the air was, are we going to Phoenix or are we getting on a flight back to Cedar Park? Like we, we had no idea if we were going back to Austin or not. And, uh, and it was like on the bus ride that the kind of decision was made. It was about two o'clock, uh, mountain time by the time the AHL press release came out. And I remember being in the airport just parked on my, uh, on my suitcase, trying to finish up this press release and put it on the website. But, um, yeah, it was a really weird day, just kind of hanging out with everybody and almost at light of the situation, you're kind of laughing in the, in the hotel lobby, just thinking about where you're supposed to be and you have no idea where you're going um, because there was so much uncertainty about it all. And like, just to add on to that for a little, like we had, I think four, and again, we didn't, we didn't actually know. Right. So it was like, okay, I think we had three different, press releases ready we had a uh playing without you know, fans yeah uh play without fans uh and especially like the wording for tickets mm-hmm. the the ticketing because that's the big one you know for sponsors and fans and right you know but right now you know and and it's it's tough because a lot of people are like okay well you know i have a, a group coming up on you know march 25th you know what and and we you don't have an answer you're like nope. you know the only answer we have is we have to wait. And, and even, you know, right now to this very second, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have, you know, they could keep the season going and, and, and which would be great. Um, right. But it's, you know, the, we had all the different press releases and working <laughs> with ticketing and, and okay, what wording do you want? It was, it was pretty, it was right. pretty hectic and uh, um, can't imagine how the Wi-Fi was in the airport. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was great. I have I have a mobile hotspot I carry with me because we're oh. on the road so because we travel like that so much that it's I didn't have to rely on the on the uh, Wi-Fi in the hotel or the airport. <laughs> I it's just a weird time. I mean, with the way that we're self-quarantining, you got to think like medically and like scientifically after a few weeks if you're able to test all the players, you you should be able to play. I get like uh, community safety and focusing on the fans, which is the focal point. But if they really wanted to get games in, I feel like we could in like the next month or something. What based off of how this quarantining is going and how it basically says like, if you're not sick after two to three weeks, then you're basically fine. Yeah. And some of it comes down to a building availability yeah. B, how are you able to get the games going on? Yes, you don't have fans in the building at that point, um, but to test all the players for their availability, you're still going to need people to work the game. So do all those people have to be tested then? Right. Um, there's a lot of boxes to check. And then even after that, you also have to think of the logistics of the guys have all gone home. They were green, greenlit to get home. So if there is some type of shutdown, um, 
that's, that's furthered in the next two weeks between the borders. There are guys from Canada for teams that might not be able to get back. So there's, there's a lot of question marks that the AHL is probably going to have that the NHL might not have where it, it could be a little bit speedier to get the NHL back up and running, but you just don't know at a certain point. The realistic in me, I, I, I think it's done. I think the season's over. I mean, the KHL just canceled their season. If the KHL wasn't going to cancel their season, you know, then the NHL could keep going. But I feel like, yeah. I think it says more that the KHL canceled their season and the NHL still like, well, you know, they're just like playing a game where I think, why, uh, what's the point of ending the season and starting playoffs in like late July or August, like that some of the blue check marks on Twitter are talking about, you know, like the Darren Draggers and Bob McKenzie's like, what's the point? And then you have to give players like a mandatory four weeks off minimum just to turn the season around by October when it's supposed to start. And uh, the players are going to get exhausted. If they do that the following season, I would just be ridiculously riddled with injuries in Mm -hmm. my opinion. So I think it's probably best to just cancel it, call it, and then figure out how to do like all the important dates, i.e. like the draft lottery, mm-hmm. um, probably have to do like a giant conference call, NHL draft, no combine, and then just make sure everything's okay and, and really like make next season a spectacle of some sort. Um, I, I would, you know, it's, it's one of those times where, you know, you don't want to be uh you don't want to come out and, and be a coronavirus expert, I guess you could yeah. say, but like <laughs> um, it's for minor leagues. And again, you, you know, no idea what'll happen, but you know, the minor league teams, you know, really need the, the income from fans. So yeah. if you're going to say, okay, you have to play in front of no fans, you know, now you're spending money and you're not making any money. You're traveling and, and you're still not making any money. Um, and again, if, and now think, you know, cause a lot of us, you know, and Brian included do mm-hmm. a lot of front office work as well. You know, now you're giving, if, if you push the season back, let's say, you know, you said until, you know, July, maybe even August. Can you so imagine what that prep have, would be? Well, you, uh, yeah. And, and you have a month for corporate sponsors you have a month for, you know, and I mean, a lot of teams are still, you know, doing season tickets, you know, right now for next right. season, but, but still that gives you a month, you know, to get ready basically yeah. for, for a season. Cause once, you know, early September, mid September hits, you're in full, you know, green light mode. So um, it'll be very interesting to see how, how everything plays out. Well, and the, and the biggest thing that we're also running into from our end and something that that's even hard to think about long-term is, okay, we're going to have to do giveaways for next season. And yes, it's March. And yes, usually you don't decide on a lot of your promotional nights until after the season's really over and you've decided, you know, middle of April to come up with your, your theme nights we're in crunch time because some of those involve giveaways. And at what point do you then have to worry about backlogging things overseas if they're trying to come in for those giveaways? And we've had some problems in the past couple of years where there have been shipping issues due to any type of reasoning. And this is right at the top of that list where shipping becomes a problem for next year. And we're already thinking, you know, seven months 
ahead of time uh, before a lot of uh, the season would theoretically get back up and running. So uh, there's a lot of question marks that wouldn't be able to be completed during that one month time. You have to do things ahead of time, but there, Rob, you could attest to it. There's so much that goes into that final month, two months before the season actually begins. I mean, ice logos, dasher boards, oh a lot God, of things yeah. that, you know, people don't think of where, you know, we, you know, we have to submit the dasher boards by a certain date. They come in, then you got to put them up, you know, and a lot of teams, us included, you know, that's the front office, you know, doing, putting them um, up, putting up dasher boards and, and the ice logos. And now, you know, all the video features, there's so much that goes into a season and you get that, you know, four months to, you know, four or five months to really you know, build up to that and you kind of get some downtime after, um, you know, especially for, for players. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. And I know you mentioned like, okay, the draft and the, and the, um, the combine and, you know, just thinking of, I mean, prospects tournaments, there's, yeah, you could, you theoretically could do the, the draft during the playoffs, you know, none of those guys are going to play. You could do the combine during playoffs or, or whenever mm-hmm. you know those guys aren't in the nhl yet so um i mean it's i wouldn't want to be uh, in those meetings it's got to be pretty tough and yeah. and uh you know it's a lot of big decisions tough decisions decisions that are that are coming up here yeah. well let's lighten the mood up a little bit and actually talk about your guys' season uh prior to the shitstorm and uh i'll Go to Brian first. Toaster, if you want to talk about your season a bit. I know you guys down there in Texas have one really uh, good prospect. I think it's Jason Robertson. Yep. He's sick, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've had a a really interesting season. Um, I mean, let's start from square one. Right at the beginning of the year, we lose 12 games in a row. Um, We went – at the bottom of the AHL standings, and Rob, I know you're going to be right in there with me The at this point. You kind of, early on in the season, you were like, man, like this is going to be a long, long, long year. Um, and then the Dallas uh, coaching change happened in the middle of December. Um, so we all of a sudden had a coaching change from our perspective, uh, and we were starting to turn things around. And um, then we had – you move along further in the season into January. We had our postponed game with Toronto and everything that happened um, where we had to then reschedule it, put it all back together. Um, it, the way this season has gone has been so odd from so many different levels. Uh, and for a group like we had, we had so many young guys, Jason Robertson, Jake Ottinger between the pipes. We had Riley Tufty. We had guys like Josh Melnick who came out of college and were really looking to make a staple because he's on a one-year NHL contract. And early on in their careers, did have to make an impact. Nick Camano and Rhett Gardner started the year in the NHL, and they had ups and downs to their seasons, but they're young prospects. Um, overall, we had an incredible second half of the year. We were trending to the point where we were in the conversation for, and in a, a big way in a conversation for a playoff berth. Um, and that was even with a tough, tough stretch. Yeah. To a normie like me who doesn't live and breathe by the AHL, but yeah. follows both of you guys, obviously. And then I follow the Bingo Devils closer because of my mm-hmm. New Jersey Devils loyalty. What yes, is sir. the, what's the playoff standings in the AHL? 
so it's the top four teams from each division. Um, so okay. four divisions, it's top four teams. Um, the Pacific division doesn't play as many games, um, but they all play the same number of games. So they're all in the same. It doesn't matter by point percentage. It's just top four teams in each division make it into the postseason. And do you guys only play within your conference? Like, do you guys ever see each other at all? So, so we play out of conference a little bit. Um, your Pacific division teams don't play out of conference. Um, okay. the, cent- the central and I, um, uh, and the Atlantic division kind of, or the, the Atlantic division kind of stays, stays in their own spot. The North division and the uh, central division kind of cross over a little bit. Um, we only had four out of conference games. We played Toronto twice and we played Wilkes-Barre twice. Gotcha. Um, but other than that, and, and Rob, I don't know what your schedule looked like. No, we, uh, <clears throat> everything was Eastern conference um, for us. Mm-hmm. And and then with the with the playoffs too, the the first round, the first two rounds are in yeah, division. So all in division. So you don't see a team out of your division until the the conference final mm-hmm. for um, for the East and the West. So um, and obviously for for travel reasons and and such, um, but it's tough because Wilkes-Barre Scranton's an hour away from us, but they're in a different division. Yeah. So yeah. Um, a lot of things have have changed up and um but yeah they so you you be become the the two division champions from each conference meet mm-hmm. for the conference championship and then you would uh, cross over for the final so running it back like two years ago when and i wasn't with texas but in that year that they went to the final it was um uh, they were in the Pacific division during that funky year where San Antonio and Texas both played the full amount of games, but it went by point percentage um, and win percentage rather than the actual points you had. Um, So in the first round, they played Ontario. um, And in the second round played Tucson, who was the number one seed. Texas wins both of those series, then plays Rockford who came out and won the central division and then uh, Texas ended up playing Toronto in the final. Um, so that kind of breakdown is how it all spans out. Rob, what was the uh, morale and the vibes in Binghamton at the past few weeks before this coronavirus shutdown? Because you guys, I mean, had almost equal, not 0-12, but the start of your guys' season wasn't great by any means. But then you were, what was the, the run that you were on? before the shutdown, it was something incredible. Yeah, it was, uh, <clears throat> I'd have to actually go look it up right off the top of my head. Cause it's been a while, but, yeah. um, you know, we started off slow as well. And right before Christmas, we're in the middle of, at the end of a, an eight game losing streak and they were 12 points. They were in last place. And the closest team to them ahead of them was 12 points up. Wow. That's how you know far back. And then December 14 was the start of the turnaround. They won eight in a row. Um, and then it was something like 20, you know, 29 and nine it's- run. Um, and it was, I mean, it was, it was wild. And it was great for the fans crowd started getting bigger it was great for you know media and and tons of new jersey fans were were starting to to follow along our social media would just blow up and it was uh 
it was a fun ride to be on. The, the mood was amazing. Um, and you, you just kind of went into games. And I mean, prior to during the skid, getting 20, 25 shots on net, you know, two goals per game. And then once the turnaround started, they're getting 35, 40 shots a game, scoring five goals a game. Um, it was what do you, you go think into the, games. What's that? What do you think the – like, was was it just like a flick of well, lightning of, or something? What, was, what happened? Part of it from the outside, too. And, again, we didn't see you guys at all this year, Rob. But you got to – when was the Taylor Hall trade? Yeah, that was the – um, when they got Merkley and Schnarr yeah. was with the, the Taylor Hall trade, and then Merkley went off You know mm-hmm. when, he, when he got here and when Schnarr was in the lineup, he was putting up points too. Um, every move really that was made with New Jersey this season really benefited the Binghamton roster as well. Um, and then goaltending was, was great as well. Oh, and, I mean, you had during the eight-game win streak – you had Evan Cormier get a win, Corey Schneider, Louis Domingue, Gilles Sen. Like every goalie was playing great. It wasn't and like it was one guy. Yeah, it was it was one guy. Or yeah, no, it wasn't one guy. It was um everyone was contributing to that. And then with that, I mean you put up five goals a game, feel like you're gonna win eighty five percent of those, you know, maybe even ninety percent of those games. Um and and that's just they Talking with coach, you know, defensive zone coverage was the big thing. Um, and he made a point to say, you know, it, it's not, you know, when you say defensive zone coverage, you're like, okay, you know, most people would say, okay, goaltending. Um, but he's saying, you know, it's, you get the puck, let's get it out quick. You know, it could be off the glass. Let's, you know, let's connect with passes, quick breakouts. Um, and you started to see that and, and you started to see, you know, great back checking as well. And and when you get that, you know, I think it, it motivates everyone. And and when the defensive zone coverage picks up, you know, goaltending is better. Um, and and that was really the the big thing. And and you know, quick transitions and offense in the offensive zone. One of the things that you know we noticed was, I mean, they were just relentless in the offensive zone, winning battles on the wall. I mean, if defensemen were below the goal line trying to get the puck, I mean, they were going to get hit. And and the, and Binghamton forced so many turnovers. I would say from the top of the circle to the blue line, the amount of turnovers they forced was, it was something that I noticed. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, Brian, when you're doing the game, sometimes it, it's going back and forth. You're not really breaking thing. You're not really able to kind of break things down too much yeah. um, at the time. But when you notice something, it, it's happening. Cool. Um, and, and that was one of the things that, that I picked out. One thing for us too, and I'm sure you could probably attest to it. Sometimes in those losing skids, the biggest thing you notice, and it's it's not like a it's not a coaching um, when you're doing an interview, you hear it all the time. But winning 50-50 puck battles, like there is a it, during those losing stretches, you magnify and notice every single 50-50 puck battle that you lost during the course of a game. And as you're going through it and you start to watch all of these, these one-on-one 50-50 battles for guys, our thing during our stretch was we were winning those battles. We were playing harder on parks. We were playing more physically in the defensive zone, like Rob was mentioning. Um, and when you're 
when you're more focused on that, and even if things did tend to kind of unwind, you knew that all, all it took was one guy winning a 50-50 puck battle out at neutral ice, turning the puck over, and going in on an odd man rush, and you could change the momentum. So um, one of the biggest parts, at least for us, and Rob early in the season, probably for you guys, it, did it not feel like as you're going through those losses, it wasn't that you were you know, losing games you almost felt like you were finding ways to lose games, like finding new and inventive ways where you just go, seriously, we had a, a two nothing lead and across four minutes, we had two turnovers and they scored and tied the game and all of the momentum just pulled right out of our shoe. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously when things aren't going well, it, the, the bounces against just seem to escalate where, you yeah. know, if you're winning, you might not notice that bounce. Um, but I, I just looked it up because I remember, um, so the first 30 games of the season for Binghamton, it was 9-17-4-0. And then the next 32 games, it was 25-7-0-0. So that was the, uh, that was the, that was the record. And, and they had won, what was it? it uh, they had won, let's see here, just kind of scrolling. It was seven in a row prior to. So they won eight in a row and then seven in a row right before they suspended play. Oh, my God. I, I, I feel so bad for – I mean, like, regardless yeah. of the Binghamton as a community, I feel bad for those guys because Binghamton in New Jersey has not really been good the past few years. Yeah. And everyone – the Devils fans have been talking about how the Devils really haven't drafted well. You know, I'm using air quotes and, and – they haven't gotten the development they wanted, at least out of the players in the NHL. But what a year this is for development for all the guys in the A. You know, players like yeah. Nate Bastian. When they sent down Jesper Boakvist, too, he went off for a bit. And um, you just got a feel for him. And it stinks. But, I mean, back to what you guys were talking about, that, that people who are, uh, in my opinion, lazy would say, like, oh, we didn't get puck luck tonight. But you create your own puck luck by working hard and winning teams seem to get all this quote-unquote puck luck because they're busting their ass on both sides of the puck, both sides of the ice, and they're able to generate those chances because they're working for it, because they're confident, and because they're they're buzzing. So everything, like you guys said, is way more polarized when you're not getting that. But I want to ask you um, each uh, three things and – I'll start with you, Toaster. I want you guys to give me your uh, MVP of your team, the player of the year up until the break, um, the most improved, and then uh, who you think will either like once, you know, either way, think about it for next season. Like if none of this had gone on, think of it, who will be able to make the jump to the league, uh, to the to the show next year and, and have an impact or just, you know, get a roster spot. Yeah. Um, MVP for the year. Um, gosh, I, it's really kind of a toss up for me, um, between two guys. Um, I have to lean on Jason Robertson just for the sole fact of what he did this year. Um, and, and I guess the, the one thing that you can say about Jason too is his point production was, was great as a rookie. He put up good numbers. 
He was leading our team in points. He was, he was successful on the power play. He did everything that, that Dallas fans wanted him to do offensively. Um, but the biggest thing that you started to notice throughout the year, I mean, there were moments during the early going of the season where it, not that Jason looked lost in the defensive zone, but you just didn't know exactly what he was going to do in the defensive zone. Um, second half of the year, the systems that were in place, his leg speed picked up. Um, it, you could see the thought process moving a lot better in the defensive zone. It translated for him going up the ice. Um, so those types of moments, the point production aside, I, I think there were moments during a young player's career where you started to see some good flashes. And if he can keep, can keep trending in that way, um, this is a guy who you could see in the NHL and, and could see him playing um, in Dallas. My most improved player, um, probably. Uh-oh. Looks like Toaster cut out there. Looks like both of us cut out. Um, and he was excellent during that time. He was unbelievable during that stretch. Uh, he put up unbelievable saves. His numbers were stellar. And this was a guy during that losing streak. I talked to him on, on our podcast we did with him a couple day, like few days ago. Um, he couldn't buy a win during that stretch. Just things were not going right for him. There were moments where he was questioning what he was doing um, and, and things just weren't falling in the right way. And he didn't play for about like, you know, 14 games because we started winning and we stay, stuck with Landon Bow. And for a young guy who is a first round draft pick and has had all the success in the world as a, as a kid, um, that was really eye opening for him. And he stuck to it and, and really improved. Um, and what was the last thing you mentioned, Bobby? Um, I think you answered it in the first one, but who do you think uh, will be able to make the jump to the NHL next year and be oh, able to I, make an impact? So I, I don't know that, um, you know, the guy who I like the most to, to make an impact in the NHL next year is, uh, is neither of the guys that I mentioned. I think both of them will have really big impacts in the NHL when they do. Um, the guy who I actually really like as a potential NHLer, um, because of where Dallas is, um, is Nick Camano. I really like his, his drive. Um, Dallas is going to have, at least when you look at the, the salary cap breakdown, they need somebody who's young. He's in the final year of his entry-level contract. He, he was in the NHL at, at a point uh, at the very beginning of the year. He impressed, scored his first goal on Braden Holpe. Um, he had two points across his stretch during the NHL, his time in the NHL, and he was playing bottom six minutes. Um, and for a young guy who plays with a physical edge, he plays well in the defensive zone. He's got the speed and the leg speed to keep up. That's all you can ask for if you're Dallas because they are going to need some of that talent at the bottom six roles in the NHL, and he fits that mold already for them. And we saw it in multiple games this year. So I think he has the biggest impact for Dallas in the NHL um, just next year. But in the future, I, I, really, I really liked watching Jason and Jake. Um, I think both of them are NHLers, but it's just going to take them a little bit more time. And then real quick before we move to Binghamton, uh, Rob, quick question, Toaster. Do you think um, for Dallas to be better next year that they will have to leverage and prioritize playing uh, Rupe Hintz and – uh, Dennis Garyanov more. You know, I'm just asking. Yeah, yes, you know, and I, no. I had both of them on my fantasy team this year. I had no, both no, no. I agree. Team. 
listen, both of them had incredible years. Um, this was a big question mark year for Denny. Um, Denny was in the fourth, his fourth pro season and he was still on his entry level deal because of the way he had his entry level slide, um, as an 18 year old. And he still played in the AHL during his 18 year old year, but it was just kind of an odd way that it broke down for him. Um, Denny two years ago in the playoffs, he missed game time because they weren't sure about him in the AHL. And then he goes in last year, played really, really well for us, got his time in the NHL, made the team out of camp also mainly because he was a first round draft pick. He didn't have great camp. Um, But this year stepped it up so big. He still, even with the, the, the way that Dallas plays the game, they play such a, try and shut you down defensively and really stay with it. And that was always one of the marks for Denny that he needed to work on and get a little bit better at. His speed was always number one for him. He's always had the speed and the ability in the offensive zone and the power play. You just saw him finally put it to use in the NHL Mm -hmm. and they really found a good spot for him. Rope, I think, is going to get a really, really, really great chance this upcoming year. Um, and I think if Dennis has a good off season and really, really stays with it, they both have a good chance. Um, you know, it's hard for me to say whether or not they fit in a little bit more of a role, uh, because they do have some free agent contracts that are up at the end of the year that they're going to have to make some decisions on. So if the opportunity is there, I think both of those guys slot in. It's just a question of what does Dallas do with their free agency? Yeah, I was just joking i did have them on my fantasy <laughs> team but the um the analytics guys on twitter they love them and they're like they're uh why aren't they playing more yeah. you know type and thing. part and part of it is is and I've, I've watched interviews with rick bonus and and kind of the staff when you watch those games rope plays penalty kill minutes mm-hmm. jason dickinson towards the end of the year who was lined up with them he plays penalty kill minutes dennis doesn't and Dennis plays on the power play, but he's lined up on a different unit than Rope at times. So the way their line was built, they were spread out and they, ha- they always wanted to try and get back to them, back together in the combination. So they were losing a little bit of ice time that way. Gotcha. Um, but it, in the same breath, yeah, they, when they were on the ice, they were always noticeable and always impactful. Your turn, uh, Bobo, Rob Lopolis. Sounds good. Um, for us, you know, and it's it's tough. You get guys, you know, called up and 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 whatnot or injured. So, uh, but for me, Brett Cini, I mean, uh, forty four points and and sixty one games um, this season for him. I think you know, and he's been here, you know, pretty much through everything. Um, I think that's actually the the actually it's one behind. Uh, Bastion has the most games played with with sixty two, um, but he's pretty much been here the entire season and it was him street and, and Merkley, you know, on a line there for, for quite some time. And then leading up to the suspension as well. He's, he's probably been the the best player, uh, you know, to be here all season. Um, elsewhere, you know, you look at guys, you know, most improved. Um, one of the hotter guys lately, you know, prior to that was, uh, Yegor Sharangovich. Uh, he had 10 goals and 15 assists. Um, once the the suspension hit, so he's been one of the one of the guys who who lately you know had been picking it up. Uh, Maltsev, I think, has has looked really good. I know he, you've seen the the shootout moves. He's got the the hands, but um, 
I think a, a lot of it with, with his game and with talking to him, you know, making quicker decisions. Um, and he's so good on the puck. You know, he's, a, he's, a, he's got a big body. He's able to, you know, use that to his advantage shield off the defenders in the offensive zone. Um, and then another guy, you know, Fabian Zetterlin, they, they started him off a little slow. He had the knee or the leg injury um, heading into this season. So they, he didn't play, you know, regularly, but uh, started to, and, you know, he's, I think, you know, he's a, a good player. He plays very physical. Um, and then, you know, Nathan Bastion, 38 points in, in 62 games. He's one of the guys, you know, he's right there. You know, when, when New Jersey's making a call up, he's, he's got to be up there, you know, on the list. So uh, there's a lot of guys who have contributed, you know, this season. And we saw Quokinen for um, a few games, uh, just four actually. But he had, I mean, he had six points in, in four games um, to when he – after the the trade with Carolina and then in net I mean Jill Sen he's been great as well and you know we did a lot of I always try to do interviews with uh, uh goaltending development coach Scott Clemenson um kind of getting an update on on the goaltending side of things but I mean he had some some wild winning streaks and and 17-7-2 and 1 uh in his first season is you know I think is good. is really good and then Zane McIntyre um Here's a guy who, with Utica this season, you know, 3.16 goals against average. He had a, uh, let's see, 0.894 save percentage, 11-10, record in 24 games. Uh, comes to Binghamton. <laughs> his first game is a 1-0 shutout. Yeah, his first game's a 1-0 shutout. He had two shutouts in his first four games, 4-0, a point seven five goals against and a point nine seven seven. That's sustainable. So, I mean, it was it was crazy, and I mean that was a he came in. It was a Sunday game in Bridgeport. It was just a, a classic one nothing Sunday game, um, and I mean it was it was a huge game, and um, you know he's been lights out, and it's it's crazy how things work sometimes. Sometimes a uh, you know a new start it, it, even though, you know, you go from Utica to Binghamton's only an hour and a half away, you know, it is a, a new start. And, and I mean, he's had some unbelievable numbers in the past in the American hockey league and, and he's kind of picked up in, in Binghamton right where he left off with those. So um, there's a lot of guys that have, have stood out this year uh, for Binghamton. So who do you uh, think, who do you think will be able to make the, the jump to the league next year? I mean, if you talking full time or, you know, if, if you, if you had to bet seen, on one player, well, I guess I can't, I don't want to get you in trouble with that statement, but <laughs> if, uh, you, you know, if you, I, 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 you know what I mean? Just like, yeah, it's, you look at, I mean, a lot of the guys that, you know, I would bring up, you've already seen this year, True. um, you know, Joey Anderson, um, Mikey McLeod, uh, I mean, even, you know, D- Dakota Mermis has been. Oh, he was awesome. He was like one of the best. Been, he was like top two defensemen on New Jersey from the second he got called up. Yeah. It, and, it was ridiculous. Everyone on Twitter were like, who is this guy that we're calling up? And then he ended, ends up being top two pairing for like saw, the 10 to 12 games that he was there. We saw him last year and early, and the, the opener this year was against Tucson for us. And Mermis was on that team for Tucson and it was just like 
he was playing top line minutes. They shut us out in the, the opener that we had this year. Um, last year he was dangerous. Like it, he's a good, he's a good solid player that was kind of hidden in the desert for a little while. And you know, you, you look at, like I said, uh, Anderson and, and, and Bastion and, and Merkley guys who have, you know, got time up there. And, um, I mean, there's, you know, people can say, you know, okay, you know, draft picks, draft picks, but I mean, you're going to start seeing an influx of, of draft picks here with, with how many picks that New Jersey has had, there's going to be a lot of uh, decisions, you mm-hmm. know, to be made. Um, you know, who goes pro, who doesn't yet. And like I said, you know, just naming some guys, you know, Sini, Bastion, Merkley, Anderson, who's, who's been there and, and, you know, like from him. all, from all signs was, you know, maybe going to finish the season there. And, and same with McLeod. And then you look at Maltsev and, and, Guys like Zetterlin and Studenich, who's who's got a lot of speed, yeah. and I mean, you even saw a little bit of uh, Gilles Sen, you know, this year as well. So, I mean, it, it's an exciting time. If, if there's one word, you know, that we could use, it'd be exciting. And New Jersey fans should be fired up with the the run, um, the turnaround, and and guys who are draft picks who are contributing. Um, and, and really helping who helped this team turn things around. And, and that's something that, I mean, people should be totally fired up about and, and looking forward to, um, you know, if they do do a, a rookie camp development camp, you know, this year yeah. in, in New Jersey, go check it out. Cause you're seeing a lot of guys who, who are going to do a lot of good things. Well, and Rob, the, the biggest thing too, high winning, high losing, huge for young guys developments and huge for players in the AHL to get a taste of what it's like before you go into the NHL in a situation where like New Jersey, where fans are eager to see some, some winning and some turnaround for, for guys to have this type of impact in the AHL and have gone through it all is something that fans can be really excited about. Yep. I'm, I just, I'm waiting for those guys down in Binghamton to just take the next step and, you know, I, I wasn't the biggest John Hines fan, but I loved how he was just go take other guys' jobs. He didn't care about, you know, your, you know, your all-star personality, things like that. If go, go take someone's job. And that's what, uh, the only way New Jersey is going to go forward and get back to being a playoff team is if that's what happens. But I did like the development prior to this shit storm of a virus shutting everything down. Um, I I would have – it was, like, automatic almost being a fan, just following on Twitter, like, oh, the Bingo Devils play tonight. They're going to win. Or one of those Russian kids, Maltsev or Sharon Govich, was just going to pot some sick goal because they weren't, like, the leading goal scorers, but it seemed like every goal that they scored was highlight reel, which was awesome. Good for Twitter. And, it, and the um, – I was trying to look up the, the number right now, but, um, you know, you – on the penalty kill – I think, and I'm looking it up right now. Okay, so the Binghamton had eight shorthanded goals, and I want to say six of them came in like the final eight games before the uh, the break, and it was crazy. I mean, it was there were so many short. It was almost like a shorthanded goal a game. <laughs> it oh, was. Um, it's like it was, league. I, yeah, it was. It was pretty <laughs> wild to see, and and um, I mean, so there were. 
a lot of good things that happen and you know you want everyone obviously to everyone's got to be safe and and healthy um and and whatever happens with the season you know it'd be um this will be one that you know you remember uh for for quite some time and I know fans it it only can create excitement you know in the off season you know when if there is one and then um you know heading into next season as well so um I know the the attitude was great. The the fans were fired up. The the crowds were big, um, and I know you know it's it's something that there a lot of chatter on social media. Uh, fans in New Jersey were excited about it, and and we hope that continues. Yep, I think now's a good time to wrap up, gentlemen. Thank you so much for for hopping on the pod. It's always a pleasure. Love having you guys on. Love reminiscing, and uh, stay safe out there. So. Um, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens in the the ne- very near future. I, I hope you guys can get back to playing for the sake of all of our sanities. Um, but if not, then, you know, it, this, this season was fun for, for the highlights that we talked about. So I'll say goodbye. And uh, our little video chat that we're using, we'll still keep us in the chat, but I'm going to stop recording now. So thanks, everyone.